Hello again, Artemis Woodworm here from Highbrow Industries, home to the advanced course in eyebrow piercing and earlobe stretching. You know, we received a lot of positive feedback from our last advertising campaign with Batcho Death Trip, and with the soaring interest in new metal, we've been fast-tracking a number of ideas thanks to, once again, the generous donation of new metal porn stallions, Crazy Town. <laughs> But we here at the Institute are always looking further down the road, picking up on trends as and when they re-happen. We've been generously asked to lead this introduction into today's episode of Batgeo Death Trip centered around murder dolls to make a huge announcement. And we can confirm that from today, we have started our brand new curriculum based on dreadfuls. That's correct, if you don't have the hair length to twist, turn and braid intricate coloured ribbons into what's going on your head? Why not let us anoint you with an alternative goth punk crown by bestowing one of our finest sets of ropey looking rope onto your head? Our physics department has also innovated once in a lifetime technology that prevents even the thickest of dreadfalls to remain on your head. No more worries about dancing a white zombie and having those falls drop dead in their tracks on the dance floor. You thought wet shoelaces were bad. That's nothing compared to the filth and scum that's on the dance floor. Dancing away, no regard for space during a pandemic, doing some lines, making an awful, awful show out of things, aggressively approaching. Yo, I'm sorry about that. Let's uh, chalk that one up to an abstract cold opening, shall we? But yes, this week we take on somewhat lovable horror punk group Murder Dolls. If you missed out on Famous Monsters Era Misfits with Michelle Graves, then Murder Dolls were there for a young generation to experience the similar thrills and spills one would expect from a B-movie loving bunch of punks. I say that with all love and fondness because I am a big Misfits fan, and I was somewhat enthusiastic about Murder Dolls at the time as well. I had the shirt, I had the album, I bought big into the idea of seeing Joey Jordison, who was lauded at the time for his musical contributions outside of Slipknot, including remixing Tainted Love by some guy called Brian. Uh, and their overall aesthetic, Murder Dolls, was completely fun. There seemed to be a danger to them, uh, that's not a joke about Trip Eisen because fuck that guy, but the energy on Beyond the Valley of the Murder Dolls was frenetic, different, alternative had a lot of striped long sleeve shirts, uh, button up work shirts, an absolute heap of braided hair and dreadfuls. This was around the time that Slipknot eased up on hiding their faces as well, and uh, almost at the same time as Murder Dolls becoming a thing, Corey and Jim had broken a taboo, showing their true forms with Stone Sour. So yeah, there was a heap of interest on Joey's project, and carried by the charismatic lead singer Wednesday 13, I'd say there was a fair amount of hype and interest in the band. But of course, some purists hated the idea of Murder Dolls. They found it tacky, garish, silly, improper for the metal scene, despite the fact being a hardcore horror punk band. These are the same cretins that thought that AFI's first major studio album was bad. It was good. I'll fight you. Murder Dolls were a group that you couldn't really say were good or not bad. You had to stand on one side of the fence. Now at the time, I was a fan of what Murder Dolls were doing, despite the album not quite having the stamina to last its entire length. But the absolutely anarchic approach of the macabre lyrics and general sleazy universal monsters meets grindhouse euro horror 
was something I was definitely into, especially the knowing winks to many listeners who got their horror movie references. So what side of the fence were you when it came to Murder Dolls, Reese? Do you think that sometimes the horror movie references were a bit heavy-handed for some people to appreciate, or did a lot of people just not like them because of their dreadfalls and gothic fashion approach? Were they too goth for the crowd that they were aiming for? You know, man, I love insane theories and, and shit hot takes. Oh, yeah, because I, I loved your conspiracy podcast that we don't really mention, so... And I don't want to start by, like, bursting your bubble, but I was 100% in the middle on Murder Dolls. I saw them live, and I had the burnt CD with the cover from Microsoft Publisher 98. Uh, so yep. I, I listened to it a little bit, and I was like, yeah, cool. Not for me, but I appreciate it, like... I, there, I went through a phase of, like, B-movies and, and horror movies and so on, and I still really like horror, but I never got into, like, Nightmare on Elm Street or anything like that. It, need, it needed to be based in some sort of reality for me, so I was a really big slasher guy because I'm like, yeah, I can understand that someone wants to break into your house and cut you up. So you, Scream was a pivotal movie for me, so, like, I never got into that sort of sci-fi gore monster sort of ghouls and goblins sort of stick. So, like, you weren't a fan of, like, uh, like the Evil Dead series? Not really. Not, like, I definitely watched them. <gasps> yeah, I know, man. Sacrilege. Sacrilege, man. Evil Dead 2 is perhaps, like, the best horror movie ever. For me, it's, it's like, one of my top three movies ever made. And I'm a, I'm a massive horror movie fan. But I think, for me, I was... I mean, the slasher... Slashers are pretty cool. But then me and Maeve, my wife, had a bit of a discussion about... What's the difference between a slasher and a splatter movie? Because you could, by rights, identify A Nightmare on Elm Street as a slasher movie because it's it's the kind of trope of, it's a, well, he used to be silent, but then he got wisecracky. Then Freddy got way too wisecracky, and it, that's a different podcast as well. That's my conspiracy <laughs> podcast. You should check out. But then it's got all the components that makes it a splatter movie, like ridiculous amount of gore. And not realistic gore. Not like hostile and stuff like that. I like Scream as well, but I was more into that kind of splatter, that grindhousey, grimy kind of sometimes sleazy area of horror movies like uh The Beyond by Lucio Fulci and everything like that. So I think so Murder Dolls kind of tapped into all of my things outside of music that I really enjoyed. Uh, but I do think that that album just lacked that little bit of stamina to push it over the finish line. Because I look back at the time, I really, really enjoyed it. And I look back now and go, yeah, there's some good songs on here. But at the same time, there's also uh, little bits of filler. Now, is the filler from Joey Jordison's side of things? Or was it from... Wednesday 13th band before he joined Murder Dolls, Frankenstein Drag Queens. Yeah, so do you know the backstory of how Murder Dolls formed? No, uh, not without reading Wikipedia again. So, and for the for the interest of content, let's take a listen to it, Reese. Well, so basically, Joey wanted to do something else. Slipknot were on a one-year hiatus, so that he was like putting together a band called The Rejects. Yeah. They got... Wednesday in somehow through, I don't know, fucking look it up, people. Don't come back here for your, <laughs> for your information. But really, Wednesday 13 was working at like Kmart at the time or something. He's like, yep, I'll come to the studio. And so they were recording and Wednesday 13 was on the bass, I think. And they had a vocalist and it just wasn't working. So like... Yeah, 
Dizzy Drastic was the vocalist at the time for the Rejects. Yeah, I read something about Dizzy, actually. Allegedly, this dude was often, like, online saying, hey, I'm really good friends with Joey. If you give me, like, 100 bucks or 500 bucks, I'll get you to meet him. And then, you know, hook up some sort of, like, interaction. And so Slipknot fans were paying him, and then he'd just disappear with the money. Allegedly. Pretty gross. Pretty gross uh, um, when it's a friend of yours. I think Joey kicked him to the curb. But, yeah, Wednesday said to Joey this isn't really working. Joey's like, yeah. And I think they were like 75% through their sort of recording schedule. So Joey's like, well, what should we do? He's like, I've got all these other songs. And then Joey's like, all right, let's hear them. And so is that Frankenstein drag queen. Yeah, so this is Hooray for Hollywood or Hollyweed or something like that by Frankenstein drag queen. So that was years before Murder Dolls. Now let's have a listen to the Murder Dolls. Almost the exact same. It's the exact same though, because one of them is Hooray for Hollywood. And then the, the one that you just played then was Dead in Hollywood, which was the third track off the album, wasn't it? So there was like 15 songs on that album, and 12 of those originally were from Frankenstein Drag Queens from Planet 13. Yeah. So was it more of a case that Joey just got involved in segmenting and just uh, sequencing the music, how it would sound, the embellishments. I mean, it's a bit weird having someone come into the band. Like, I've got like 12 songs from my old band. Like, did the old band care so much that Wednesday 13 was using it now? Or how, how did that pan out? Yeah, the band apparently weren't happy. And fair enough. Because it's like, hey, you didn't just... Look, you wrote the songs, fair enough. But that, that idea that like songs are written by one person is always kind of interesting. Because usually... Uh, the other musicians will add a little bit of flair or or something, you know, that will change the, the dynamic of the song. So, but I guess it's like, hey, the chords and melody were written by me. Fucking suck it. I can do what I want. But I, I just imagine the whole dynamic is really interesting because you've got Joey, right? Yeah. Who's a mega worldwide famous musician in a lot of music communities. Slipknot were really, really big at the time. They're on hiatus for a year and a bit. So Joey... Joey goes and plays guitar. And this is how you want to do a side project. You want to be like, yeah, I'm playing a different instrument. It's kind of still metal, but it's in the same sort of sphere, but it's still, it's different enough. And it's defragged my brain a little bit and clear up some space. And I get to enjoy music again from, you know, the front of the stage and not behind the kit. But then you've got Wednesday who quits his job. His songs get really, really popular. As a result, all the old releases of Frankenstein Drag Queen that were released through this European label start to sell really really well so that label's really happy his old band are really pissed with him then joey's like sorry gotta go back to my actual bigger band slipknot and wednesday's like oh okay cool you don't want to keep going he's like oh, i love you man but i like these guys pay the bills and that's where you know i started that band so i'm off there and the only reason the murder dolls got a big jump in the industry was because of slipknot the only reason people really wanted to listen to them was because of joey 
because it was the first band where a Slipknot member was unmasked. And there's no sort of speculation on that because these are the exact same songs released six years ago or whatever it may have been. Yeah. And you add in Joey Johnson and suddenly they're like playing Big Day Out and everyone's wearing Murder Doll shirts. And I went and saw them purely to go see Joey. And then you kind of fall in love with Wednesday 13 and be like, yeah, this is kind of fun. Yeah. You know? But yeah, it's such a, a, an interesting sort of dynamic there of people sort of burning each other and supporting each other and not using each other, but... Yeah, you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, but I mean, surely Wednesday, when he went into it, realized that, okay, this is just a side project. You know, it was like eight years between Beyond the Valley of the Murder Dolls and uh, their follow-up album, which is the name, if I remember correctly, Women and Children Last. I think there was also the intrigue of Joey Jordison's playing guitar rather than being on drums. That's interesting. And then you bring in, like, what, AC Slade? As from Dope came into it, and 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 I got all the love in the world for AC Slade because if anyone was gonna do a really really good impression of Wayne Static, then oh you know spoiler alert I don't want to like ruin it like telling people wrestling isn't real but um yeah uh zero is AC Slade from Dope and they're absolutely killing it on that Static X tour. Every interview I've heard with AC Slade, ah oh, I love him. But do you want to know what his favourite sounding record is? I would. Because I think you would agree. Coral Fang by The Distillers. It's a very good album. Yeah, so I actually have a theory about AC Slade and Wednesday 13. And that is that if those two were in a room with you and I, we would have a great time. You would be with... I would say. You'd be with Wednesday just talking about all the B-movies and that horror shtick. And I'll be with AC Slade just listening to his stories. And I think out of all the musicians and the albums we've spoken about, hanging out with the Murder Dolls, those guys, would be really, really, really fun. I mean, I loved I loved the whole 80s shtick. I think that part and parcel of people's interest in Murder Dolls was the fashion sense, you know. And as much as we joke about the dreadfuls and the plaited hair and stuff like that, it's not like that band created that style. It's just that they seemed like one of the first bands that were given a big, and let's not make any mistake about it, it was a big fucking platform that Roadrunner gave them. You know, they released, they sent Roadrunner a demo and that basically became the album. So that's how big of a deal Joey and anything to do with Slipknot was at the time. But I think that... um. They tapped into an audience base that felt ostracized sometimes because they were a little bit too kind of into the goth, cyber goth kind of fashion aesthetic. You know, maybe not so much the culture, because I know a lot of people that were into goth music were like, yeah, I'm into Marilyn Manson, like that, that's not goth. Fields of Nephilim, all of those kind of like bands. So, yeah, they took that fashion sense and style and put it on the biggest platform like we discussed. And it made a lot more people kind of relate to them a little bit more. Like, oh, my God, they're not wearing, like, baggy jeans and red baseball caps. They're actually wearing stuff that I like to wear when I go to Sugar Cubes on a Friday night or insert a local metal establishment here. So do you think, I mean, going back to the question in the intro, do you think then that part of the reason why people had a, maybe not hatred, but an indifference towards them was because they tapped into a fashion sense, they tapped into an aesthetic that didn't really match up quite as well with their new metal counterparts? 
I am excluding Marilyn Manson from this because Marilyn Manson co-opted anything and everything that he wanted to in his career just to have that fashion sense. To answer a really simple question in an incredibly long manner, brace yourself because this album, and I can't believe I'm saying this, way more than the At The Drive-In where I really aligned with their ethos and the bands that they grew up listening to and how they... They operated as a band and how they toured and all that stuff. Like, I I share their vision. I really enjoyed researching the Murder Dolls this week and listening to it because I remember thinking just the other day, fuck, I wish I was into this 80s horror shtick, like, and sci-fi and the ghouls and the goblins. It seems fun. It seems sort of harmless. It seems like wrestling fans, for the you know, most part, is that they, they know. It, it's just that, like a bit of pageantry and it's fun and so on. And these, yeah. I can imagine these gigs would be really, really comforting to go to because you're you're with a mass of people that you know share a common interest. You're on the fringes of society, or you know you've got some unique interests. Not everyone is loving Evil Dead Two, you know, for example, or spending their weekends watching these seventies and eighties B movies and so on. So it's like I'm known with my people, and the closest I have is when I'm at a home game for my shit football team. And even then, it's just like we like the same football team. I was really thinking, why don't I like a lot of the things that seem sort of popular? Like sci-fi is a really good example where I don't like Star Wars and I don't like Star Trek. I don't like Bill Murray. I don't like guitar solos. I don't like Anchorman or Zoolander. Like why, why is it a contrarian? Like is it me being a contrarian? But I, I honestly don't think it is. And I've, I've wrestled with this in other episodes. No, no, I don't know. Because we've, we've, we've discussed this a couple of times on the podcast about how you don't like Star Wars. But... I get it. If you don't want to invest any time into a mythology around Star Wars or Star Trek, why bother with it, you know? Mm. And I think it's it's for me why I don't care too much about Lost. Yeah. Because it's like I'm not too into this mythology and I think that it's contrived. But I know a lot of people that love Lost uh, apart from how it all wrapped up. So I totally get why you might not like that kind of thing. And I totally get why you have a aversion towards even going back into those things. You know, you strike me as the kind of guy, Reese, that would go, go on, just give like a new hope a try. Give this, and you'd be like, no, 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 I just, I, I'm not into it. So that's completely fine. But I think that the extra frills that Murder Dolls had when they released the album, when they went on tour, was brilliant they definitely played to their audience which is a phrase that we use quite a lot on this podcast and they knew their audience were the kind of crowd that maybe were wearing misfit shirts and had no idea who glenn danzig was and just tapping into that are you a fan of rocky horror picture show no there you go i mean because i get there's huge rocky horror vibes that you get from murder dolls you know murder dolls would basically be kind of like the punk equivalent of the Rocky Horror Picture Show, with Wednesday 13 acting as uh, Dr. Frankenfurter, you know, Tim Curry's character, which is brilliant. And, you know, then you've got, like, Riff Raff, and you've got, you know, the secondary characters. So as much as Joey Jordison was meant to be kind of like the focus, he'd probably be the Riff Raff, the orchestrator, and Wednesday 13 thinks that he's the orchestrator of everything. And so... Christ, am I making am I making murder dolls sound like they're like a theatrical group? Because there is theatrics in it, man. There definitely is that theatrical element to it. Absolutely, man. But to go back to, to your question, 
I, I can see that there's people having fun with something that I just don't get. And, and I'm on the outside, you know? Are you looking in? I'm, I'm looking in. I'm not feeling the light as y'all. No, 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 man. So if you're on the outside of that and you don't feel as connected as other people, it's so much easier just to be like, fuck that. It's not even real metal. Fuck that. They don't even know the real uh, movies. Fuck that. You know, they're not even real Misfits fans. And it's so much easier to just become a gatekeeping piece of shit. Yeah. I'm almost certain we are all guilty of it in some way. But I just you see a room full of people just having a great time and connecting. And I was like, oh, man, I, I feel like I'm missing out because I, what I realized is in my epiphany was the things that I like have to have some sort of purpose or a goal. Like, I, it's kind of why I hate dinner parties. It's a, unless there's like a sort of a, hey, we've got a Thermomix. Uh, like, do you want to come around and try it? I don't want to go to your dinner party. I've always hated them. Like, I don't want to like, oh, we'll have to like get you around for dinner or anything. I've always hated that. Can we just go to a restaurant and try something new and or, or just sit and talk and drink? I don't want to just meander over dinner. A dinner party is just a bit of extra frill. And I just sort of want like, what's our goal here? What's our purpose? That's kind of what I feel like with some of these murder doll songs, with those guitar solos. I'm like, yeah, we, we, I already knew I was listening to a song. You didn't have to just be like, now it's a guitar solo. What's a thermo mixer? It's like a hot blender, essentially, but people pay like $1,500 for it. And it like... So a soup maker. I, I think. I don't know. Yeah, okay. I can't verify that. There's only one or two problems about me going to go see Murder Dolls live, okay? Now, the first one is... Your ankle bracelet and you're not to leave your house. I like White Wedding as much as the next person, but how many freaking times... Let me try to... Now, I like White Wedding as much as the next person, but how many bloody times do bands oh. have to cover it? Queens of the Stone Age covered it. Herman's Hermits covered it. Roland S. Howard. Roland S. Howard covered it. I'm sure there was another punk band that covered it as well. Fuck, like, it's not, I don't even like it to begin with. It's Why do all these bands like it? Like, I, I, I still don't understand that. It's not a great song. It's kind of boring. But everyone's like, fucking, every band is covering it. What is it? Is it some sort of rite of passage or something? I mean, you think about the 80s, one of the biggest things you think about is Billy Idol. So I think there's some kind of post-irony there where, oh, we're going to cover an 80s song by Billy Idol, but everyone seems to fucking sing along to it and they like it. When that got played at nightclubs, people got really into it, which I was somewhat surprised about because I always thought that that was like a guilty pleasure. But then, you know, Rob Zombie did um, Brick House. And that was pretty catchy, like covering, was it Lionel Richie that did Brickhouse originally? No idea on that one. Okay. And then the other thing is that I don't think I could be in a room with that many people missing eyebrows. I, it's <laughs> a fucking stern look. Bro. It is a stern look. Yeah, I can't tell if they're surprised. I will never know if they're shocked by anything I say. Like, it is a very, if you want to look like fucked up or scary or intimidating just shave your eyebrows like it is and and have long ass dreads it's yeah it's not just that it's not just the shaved eyebrows it's the shaved eyebrows combined with the dreadfuls did you intentionally remove your eyebrows or you know were you drunk fucked up and someone decided just to shave both the eyebrows or you know do you draw your eyebrows on what is the appeal of having your eyebrows shaved Email us. Email us. Batchodeftrip at gmail.com. Let us know. I know people who tattoo eyebrows for a living. Reverse Murder Dolls fans. Reverse Murder Dolls. Nah, I gave up on Murder Dolls back in uh, 2018, so I decided to get uh, eyebrows tattooed. 
They grow back, so you can have a tattoo underneath your eyebrows. And why can't you just what, have writing? Like, that'll be the next thing. Have Post Malone get, like, his eyebrows shut. I mean, look, I do that. That's a fucking stern look if I cover my eyebrows, man. <laughs> and the top as well. I just need to, like, twist the hair a little bit. And then, boom, there we go. Murder dolls. But, yeah, I just... Uh, I just don't understand the eyebrow shaving. It's so funny because you're, like, for the 55 minutes they're on stage, fuck, it looks cool. Fuck, yeah. But it's, like... There's 23 other hours in a day where it's, you're, you're just walking around the city without eyebrows, with your dreads. Like, that's intimidating in every situation. It's like, you know, you, you're in an office job and then, like, Doreen walks in and suddenly her eyebrows disappeared from the day before. You can go, oh, looks like somebody went to see Murder Dolls <laughs> last night, didn't they? How were they, Doreen? How were they? Can we, can we bring the game a little earlier just as a bit of a palate cleanser? Oh, man, I've... I think I've got a really fun game for you. And obviously we've been talking about B-movies and that's what uh, Wednesday 13 is really, really into. There's this really funny video uh, of him showing his tour bus. You know, side note, before we get into the game, I love that, you know, Wednesday 13 sings songs about like grave robbing and teenage zombies and ghouls and shit. And then it's like him on his bus going, I got the biggest bed. Uh, it's comfortable. You know, it's like, I've got to be comfortable as I sing about the dark, twisted horror of the human experience, you know? And then he showed all these DVDs, right? And he's got all the, the classic B-movies and shit, but he's also got, like, The Facts of Life and Welcome Back, Cotter. And it's basically anything that he watched when he was a child that he he will put on, uh, like a lot of Andy Griffith and stuff like that. But I have a quiz. Okay. I think we'll go probably for seven hours because you will be able to talk about it. But I have five grabs from five separate trailers of classic B-movies or classic horror movies. I All right. want you to pick it out. Now, if you don't get it, that's fine. If you're like, I don't, I need help, that's cool. I have the tagline from the poster. So that, that okay, could help cool, you as well. Cool. So are you ready? Yeah, hit the tick. It was a night like any other night. Then something happened. Something different. You know that movie, Benji? Can you give it a tagline? It's not really giving me a lot. I got a couple of ideas in my head, but... It's crazy. Oh, mate, Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Hey! Hey! Well done. I love that t-shirt. Melon from a New Zealand band called Cobra Khan used to rock a rival school shirt and he used to rock a killer clown from outer space shirt and i always wanted the killer clown shirt but yeah killer clowns from outer space really good well worth a watch wednesday 13 has a killer clowns poster in the tour bus yeah i think in terms of kind of schlock i think killer clowns from outer space is like one of the bigger kind of schlocky movies number two on this picturesque block this manicured home something evil something terrifying something horrifying is haunting life benji do you know what it is wow okay uh can i just get the year and a tagline please yeah man the year is 1992 Ooh. 
and the tagline is Gone with the Blood. Oh, you to give me one more tagline, man. The most undercooked comedy in the history of cinema. Oh my god, it's not fucking... Well, in New Zealand we call it brain dead, but in uh, America it's dead alive. Correct! Well done, that is dead hey, alive. There we go. <laughs> Peter Jackson, man. I was waiting for you to bust out a Meet the Feebles reference, but nah, man, brain dead. Another one of the... The original rom-coms on. You know, Shaun of the Dead claims that it's the first of its kind. No, no, no. Go back to Brain Dead. That was the first romantic zombie. Well done. Number three. They said it was 100% safe. But they were wrong. There's no danger, Governor. We have the situation well in hand. Nineteen eighty-six movie, Benji. Do you know what it is? Uh, Adrian Barbeau's in it, right? No, I don't think so. No. Okay. Right. Um, I'm gonna take a big, big leap here yeah. and say, is it by chance a movie called Warning Sign? No, it is not. Oh, can I get a tagline then? Reading, writing, and radiation. Bass of Newcomb High. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> trauma movie all right cool cool man oh man that trailer was a rough thing to sit through i'll tell you what trauma's a rough thing to sit through full stop but i am looking forward to their reboot of the toxic avenger because it's starring peter dinklage as toxie yeah i think that'll be really good number four four years ago in this quiet forest in this cozy cabin something happened something so frightening you can stop it now man something so deadly you already got it you can stop it now evil dead 2 yes evil dead 2 well done mate what gave it away just because it's one of my favorite movies of all time did i mention how much i love evil dead evil dead 2 over evil dead 1 controversial but it's the one horror movie reese that i will put on for anybody uh and just go it's the perfect mix of like humor and horror and gore and it's just it's just fucking perfection anyway uh i'll probably do a, a separate podcast one day for bacho death trip just about my love of evil dead uh how many more have we got man you've got one and this could be totally obscure or super obvious i'm really not sure okay it's from 1990 and here's a little bit of the trailer Crime is at an all-time high. And to make matters worse, an ancient prophecy has unleashed an unbelievable evil spirit. The tagline is, Fatal Sushi, Lethal Chopsticks, and as American as Apple Pie. You've gone for another trauma movie, haven't you? Is it Sergeant Kabuki Man? <laughs> yes, it is! <laughs> you can tell with the trauma movies because there's that kind of light-hearted, oh my god, this is what's gonna happen. Someone's got their eyes gouged. Incredible! So yeah, it is Sergeant Kabuki Man NYPD. Yeah, I was gonna say, look, I, I'm not gonna give you 100% because you forgot the NYPD. But no, yeah. I haven't. It's Sergeant Kabuki Man NYPD. And the trailer basically just spells out the whole movie. I'm like di digging, digging the whole delving into trauma. Like I was Class of Newcomb High and uh, Sergeant Kabuki Man NYPD was pretty cool while i'm 
gonna gloat for a minute in front of Reese, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, it was my undertaking once again to look for an advertiser. Now, I want to apologize uh, for Artemis Woodworm's attempt at an advert earlier on. I think that was a little cheeky, Reese. you know, mm. trying to squeeze in a bit of a product placement in an intro. Well, definitely uh, won't release any th- listeners. I can guarantee you that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> People tuning in the podcast like, what the fuck is this? It's got a cold opening, guys. Check it out. TVTropes.com. So uh, I've gone and I have sourced a fantastic new... They're visionaries. Put it that way, man. They're visionaries. So... If you were looking for the new hot fashion item for this summer or winter if you're in Australia, check it out. This is a word from our sponsor. Hey, man. Yo, what's up? You seem bummed out, man. Dude, I asked my mum for a red baseball cap, but she said we had red baseball cap at home. And? It turned out to be a visor. A visor? Like what poker players and 90s Aussie cricketers used to wear? Confusingly, yeah. Look. Ah, dude, what to do, what to do? (gasps) Vondelay Jensen? Hey, Chief. It's not all doom and gloom. Not getting that cap. Check this out. With the immortal words of the new metal gods and a wave of my... Wallet chain! Sabracadabra. Durst Lord and Master. Oh, my God. (gasps) Yeah, yeah! Too much? Why settle for an upside-down snare when you can accompany it with an upside-down visor? Look cool in an uncool, ludicrous way, but hey, hey, it's Y2K! Simply take that visor, turn it upside-down, sweep it to the side, voila! Upside-down visors, use it to blend into all occasions as mainstream culture co-ops new metal fashion and completely misses the point. You can wear it at new metal shows, new metal club night, student night, new metal student night, student union bar, University Courtyard, annoying shit sat in front of you at a university lecture hall, uncomfortable at an urban music night with university friends, childish Gambino gig. The upside down visor is designed to retain weather conditions for you to easily interface your day with your MySpace update. Raining? It'll capture it. Snow? It'll capture it. Burnt skull? Why not add a burnt nose and face to the litany of Marlboro Jill experience? Look more like a frat boy with half the threatening intimidation. You just look like a bit of a dick. Have a polo shirt and cargo trousers on? Congrats, you're experiencing the Jamie Kennedy vibe on set of Son of the Mask. <laughs> You've been exed, y'all. Visit gobshideindustries.cjb.net to buy not one, but three upside down visors. We are literally giving this shit away for free because we got paid 35000 Australian dollars from a guy called Royce for us to advertise with him. We also got Len to do the official theme music for Upside Down Visors. Yes, that's right. Canadian rock group Len. 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 I know it's up to me. It's my upturn visor. To make this visor look pretty sweet. It's an upturn visor. All my friends think I'm an absolute stud. With my upturn visor. Because we're all Canadian and birds. I'm sexy upturn visor. So I thought that we were the new radicals. <laughs> that would definitely land. I don't know the difference myself, to be honest. You know how, like, in a movie when a body gets shot, 
like by like, <laughs> and it's just like, like the body's still standing and just like oh yeah the willem dafoe platoon yep. yeah it's just like honestly there were so many jokes and callbacks and barbs and then that layer of like i can imagine the, the situation you if you were to record you know you asking your wife me like hey here's the script you know if that was you you know i was just saying but just i was just propped up that whole time i couldn't move like i couldn't move my body it was like a a sleep paralysis, but I was awake and feeling everything. That was the closest I've ever had to meditation. That was truly incredible. <laughs> you know, I'm kind of worried though. It should have come with a health warning. Cause I think that that was quite meta that it wrapped up a whole bunch of in jokes in there as well. You know, maybe of course a couple of nosebleeds out there. That's uh, not good. It's not good whatsoever. Hey, uh, so Joey stormed off stage while playing, um, twist my sister in france because of tinnitus mm. now he said i want to clear up exactly what happened hero i have a condition with my ears called tinnitus which in my case is very severe and has been causing me excruciating pain for two years now he added that night in bordeaux my tinnitus was at an extreme i wanted to come out and play the best show that i could however due to technical difficulties and high-end feedback that persisted in the monitors the pain within my ears became unbearable he's a glutton for punishment joey sometimes isn't he i mean if you think about the fact that he was playing with was it a broken ankle or a broken foot for x amount of time yeah i mean so many musicians would have this so many gig goers would have it so many just like construction workers would potentially have this i know someone who uh, was very good friends with a very famous guitarist and that guitarist had it and it fucking basically drove him insane. His friend was saying that he um would hear sort of voices or he thought people were talking to him when they weren't, you know, because it was just like, it was just that constant ringing and it was painful. And yeah, so Joey just got really frustrated uh, and, and threw his guitar down and walked off and they, you know, people were like, oh, maybe he hates the band. It's like, no, it was like, I just, I freaked out. I had to get out of there. It was unbearable. You know, and one of the smartest things I ever did was very early on get custom earplugs uh, and refuse to do a gig without them. You know, I struggle to play with them in sometimes. I'll usually start the set with them in, but I will not go to a show without them. They, they've saved me a lot. If you take away one thing from this podcast, make sure that it's go and see Sergeant Kabuki Man NYPD. Now, if you take away two things, make sure that second thing is get some earplugs at shows. What other pro tips have you got being a uh, full-time seasoned musician, Reese? At one point, you were full-time anyway. No, I, I've never been full-time. I refuse. I did a lot of touring, but it was like on the weekends. Like I would literally, Friday and Saturday, I wouldn't, I would make sure I always had a full-time job to fund that bullshit. That's insane though, because like, I mean, people might think that you're a bit of a dickhead when they listen to this, but like you go into such incredible lengths and depths, uh, not just with the podcast, but like, with kind of your running your basketball or you know you you don't half-ass things for the most part you go full in so i thought that maybe you were one of those musicians that didn't you know had maybe like a part-time job like a coffee shop job and but was more focused on your music career but that's not the case whatsoever now one of the first albums i ever recorded you don't have much money when you're starting out you know uh no. and so we had to hire this studio or it was like this university studio and the only time we could get it was from 10 p.m. until 6 a.m. So we all worked or we all did shit during the day 
and then we'd go and record at night for five days. And it was fucked. So in between takes, you'd fall asleep on a couch or, you know, while the guitars were being tracked, you'd sort of zone out and then you might have to go redo something or whatever. You know, it was a lot of napping on couches for a week. Like I remember we had to pack up the kit and drive it through peak hour traffic to return it to the drum hire place and, you know, then go and just sort of get a few hours sleep during the day, which is never really good. And like I would have loved to be a full-time musician, but in the same way, like that's when you get the fucking, the ringing in the ears. And it's also like, it's not as, I don't know. I've always liked the balance of being like, hey, I go and do these things, but I, then I'm also like this person at work and, you know, never the twain shall meet. I think that's really always important for me to be balanced. But I am still a fuckhead and I am still a dickhead. So yeah. It's it, it's not healthy and it's probably not sustainable. What being a fuckhead's not sustainable? Well, I've seemed to make a pretty good career out of it, but man, we got another fucking bit of listener mail, and and fucking cop this. Like I'm always like, oh, everyone's on Team Benji, no one's on Team Reese, just Dustin and Reese, you know, against the world, you know. Listen to the message we got, man, from a young man called Braden. I'm up to the Nine Inch Nails, the Fragile currently. Tom is a great guest. Have him on more. And his New Zealand accent is very charming. Oh, what the fuck's my accent then? Like chopped liver. He gets to yours. I don't hear a New Zealand one with Benji at all. He just sounds like he's British. Did he ever sound like Tom? Have you lost your New Zealand accent? I well, I've always had. Uh, so is it Braden? Yeah. Okay, so Braden. So I moved around from country from country to country, from county to county. So I started off with a British accent when I was like three, but then when I moved over to New Zealand, like people got confused with me saying, oh, could you draw me as a, could you paint my face as a cat? And they were like, what, a cut? Like, no, a cat, cut. So it was that. <laughs> and then when I moved, when I moved back to the UK, we lived uh, around Nottinghamshire, which is a very dialect neutral. and then. I came back here and we live in Leeds, so I don't know if like a Yorkshire accent popped up or not. But the thing is, I'm not enunciating words. So if I was to enunciate words, I would either sound like I'm from New Zealand or I would sound like I'm from South Africa. A lot of the time I do sound like I come from South Africa. But yeah, yeah, no, Tom, a New Zealand accent like Tom's is second to none. I love his accent. He's brutal, hey, he's just really strong. I wouldn't say I wouldn't say brutal. I'd say it's very staunch. Like, yeah, mate, how's it going, eh? Yeah, yeah, nah, ah, and you know those pregnant pauses and stuff like that. So, I am sorry, Braden. I'd love to hear what kind of accent he thinks I do have. British accent. Hello, you're listening to Bachio Deathtrap. My name is Benjamin, alongside Reese. Good evening. Today we'll be talking about the finer points of uh, cannibal Cold corpses. 30. <laughs> I was going to say Cannibal Corpse, but no. Um, yeah, sorry, Braden. Next time, though, I think I'll talk with a bit more of a New Zealand accent for you. Eh? But we also got uh, another message from a listener, Paul. Uh, he's been on a few times. He was on the Lincoln Park episode. And let's have a listen to what he has to say. Please leave your message after the beep. Hey, Benji. Hey, Reese. It's Paul here of Paul13. Thinking about the Murder Dolls this week, I realized that I actually didn't really enjoy the music. I was a big fan of the band, but it was really an identity thing. I think at that point I was trying to find my niche, and these guys were doing something different. I'm a massive fan of horror movies. I also think it's possible that they just appealed to the natural contrarian in me. 
I wasn't a huge fan of Slipknot, but I really admired Joey Jordison. So when I knew he was doing a different band with a different look, playing guitar, not playing drums, I kind of attached myself to that. And I look back and think, yeah, there were times where I was just being a contrarian for contrarian's sake. You know, I didn't like Tool, but I loved A Perfect Circle. I didn't like Smashing Pumpkins, but I loved Zwan. <laughs> not really. I'm wondering, did you guys have any contrarian bands? Did you have any bands that you liked just because it might have annoyed some of your other friends? Finally, I'd just like to say, f*** Trip Ison, and also Lizzie would like to say what she thinks about the Murder Dolls. Do you miss Joey Jordison? Yeah, of course, man. Like, uh, you grow up and sometimes you just feel like you're either going to gatekeep something or your things are just so overtly in your face that you decide you know what fuck this i can't be asked with this for me it was a block party silent alarm when it first came out everyone was talking about how great it was uh and i i listened to like helicopter i listened to bits and pieces when they released through wichita records or moshi moshi uh, and yeah, I, I just grew to resent the amount of people that would say, oh, have you listened to Block Party? Like, uh, yeah, well, not not the album. Why haven't you listened to the album yet? That it got to the point where I was just, you know what? Fuck Block Party. You know, fuck them. End of the day, all fucking Block Party you're doing is like ripping off Les Savvy Fav and Wire. And so fuck that band. But then I came back to the album and I actually really enjoyed it. But for me the contrarian aspect is when everyone is into a band and that's great but when they start to force that upon yourself that's when the kind of you know you, you dig your heels in a little bit and become a bit of a contrarian that happens you know yeah i think it's easier to be a contrarian to be like this is popular i don't like it and i had a band that i always did it for with silverchair and only recently have I come around to be like, fuck, that was really stupid. And I still feel really bad about this because I had a girlfriend at the time who really loved the album Diorama. And, you know, I just kept sort of like poking and making fun of it. And then one day I was like, hey, do you want to put it on? She's like, no, I don't like it anymore. And I was like, why? She goes, oh, you just like made me not like it. And I was like, oh, I, I don't know why. Oh, I Reese. Yeah, I, I feel horrendous. That, about that. Oh, Reese, that is not fucking cool. I know, man. man I, feel, <laughs> I feel trash about that. Uh, I, I would I would as well, man. That is That is... How old were you at the time, though? Because I've done a similar 33. thing. Thirty-three. <laughs> no, I was like fifteen or sixteen. Yeah, yeah, I I've done that before. I've just absolutely trashed on a band that someone didn't like it, uh, just for no good. It was for me. It was Blink on Eighty Two. Oh, I, I still do that. Fuck that band. I know, I know you don't, <laughs> but it, it it was so fervent that at Leeds Festival they were playing, and I was uh, with one of my university friends and two guys that used to live in my village we bumped into. And uh, for the most part, we were just, like, writing down on a Sharpie on plastic bottles all these insulting things about Blink-182 and then throwing the bottles into the crowd during the bottle fight. So someone would have picked it up and, you know, oh, Tom DeLong believes in UFOs. What a weirdo, you know. Absolute, and so it just got to the point where I don't want to watch Blink-182 anymore. Ugh. My, I don't know if this is contrarian, but it's like a, a, a potentially a, a need to sort of stand out or be like, oh, I know more than people or, or whatever. And, and I hope I've grown out of it. But it did lead me to create Reddit, you know, a forum for those kind of people. <laughs> no, it did lead me to... Dis oh! 
Oh, so you're Reese McReddit. Yep. Oh, man, no wonder why we can dump so much money on advertising. It did lead me to really loving Dennis Wilson's album, Pacific Ocean Blue. Like, I, I really rate that album. I still listen to it a lot. It's one that, like, forgotten Beach Boys, uh, you know, rest in peace, Dennis, and rest in peace, Joey, of course. But obviously, the Brian Wilson's smile, I fucking love that. Went and saw Brian Wilson live. Uh, like, so, you know, it's like, oh, like, the Beach Boys is like, well, have you heard Dennis Wilson? It's like, actually, that album's very, very good. That album is very, very, very fucking yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, I, I, I'm into Nick Cave. What about you? Oh, bro. Have you heard of uh, the birthday party, bro? Uh, are you... Uh, yeah. I've been cranking Nick Cave lately, and I was trying to think when I was doing the... Uh, fuck, we haven't talked about Murder Dolls at all, but I, I've, I'll, I'll end with something on Murder Dolls. But I, right. I was thinking, like, fuck, I hate that Iggy Pop, um, you know, pop-up on that At The Drive-In song. And it's so much like, I will skip that song, even though it's a great song. And I was like, what album is, like, a totally unskippable album for me? And one of them I thought about was Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, No More Shall We Part. Like, I really like that album. I really love that album. And I was like, what musician has made a more successful leap from, you know, crazy punk to, like, crooning piano ballad man, like, other than Nick Cave? You know, not, I'm not talking about, like, Beyonce leaving Destiny's Child or anything like that or Justin Timberlake. Like, going from the birthday party in The Boys Next Door, next door to releasing... No more shall we part. Like that is a massive. Or 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 murder ballads. Murder ballads. Yeah, I can kind of see murder ballads, even Ghost Teen or something, something more recent. But like, just incredible. Like, uh, yeah, I'm back on Nick Cave in a in a big way. But let's get back Good. on murder dolls in a big way, man, because we haven't really talked about this album. Yeah, but you know, I think that might be the problem with Beyond the Valley of the Murder Dolls, though. Uh, like I mentioned early, early on. I just don't feel like it had the stamina. It's a, it was like a sprint, and I think at times it kind of just dragged its heels a little bit. But there are some absolutely fantastic songs on there, but I would also find myself skipping. Even when I was big into them and had the album, I would, I would skip every now and again a couple of tracks just because I, I, I think that if they stuck with the 12 Wednesday 13 songs... And that's a confusing thing to get out of my mouth. Uh, that would have been fine. That I think it would add. But I think when they added just like three more songs, and yeah. I guess they had to because it was a, it would have been the case of, well, you guys are just absolutely ripping off yeah. uh, Frankenstein drag queens from Planet 13. But they could have dropped some of those Frankenstein drag queens songs. Dressed to depress the fuck of, off. Like that could be cut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. That's I didn't really like that. Slip my wrist, twist my sister, dead in Hollywood. Love at first fright. I liked she was a teenage zombie as well. But yeah, there's other bits and pieces. Okay, so I don't really like this track that much, but it has. I lo but I love the tempo and I love the drums. And usually I hate that just like bashing the snare on every beat, like ba 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 ba. I think it's it's lazy. But this is the one example I can find where. It works. So in 197666, uh, that that tempo is amazing. And if you are familiar with any of the songs I've written, Benji, you'll know I operate at this tempo quite a lot. Oh, um, yeah, 100%. He's not afraid to bash the ride cymbal. The drumming is actually really, really good on this album in that it's fun, it's big, and it's bouncy, and it's not flashy for the sake of being flashy. There's, there's simple rolls, and it's fucking pretty good. But just this tempo... 
as if you wouldn't fucking be tapping your foot or bopping your head to this. Fuck, I love that tempo, right? Yeah, All man. songs in that tempo, people. Get a drum machine, set it to whatever tempo that is, and just play over the top, and you will write something so fun. The beat carries it for you. You know who would be able to figure out what time signature that is? Dr. Drums. I like to play the drums. Where is Dr. Drums today? I'm <laughs> I think he's on Reddit, you know, debating uh, how many flams were in that Taproot song. I think that perhaps we might have like startled him the moment that we started talking about upside down visors. True. I think Dr. Drums thought that he had the monopoly on upside down instrumentation, but didn't realize about upside down clothing. Let's end on an Instagram post from AC Slade on Joey's uh, untimely passing. So AC Slade wrote Jojo. Which is odd. I would have called him Joey, Joe, Joe, Junior, Shabadoo. But I would have called him Ches Wazzers. <laughs> so, Jojo, I guess it's time you take the sad vacation Johnny Thunder's always talked about. Murder Dolls started when Slipknot was on top of the world. You could have done anything, but we started this band of three-chord reprobates. A lot of people said it was a terrible idea, but most fun and insane ideas usually get that warning, I'm sure. I'm glad you didn't heed their warnings. The same people likely said the same thing about your other band. That's what made you one of a kind. Not just insanely talented, but tenacious in your creative vision. Thank you for being a part of the best time of my life. Heartbroken, AC. Yeah, despite the fact that the album perhaps didn't hold up in terms of like its length and everything... Um, it's still a lot of fun. fun that yeah. community is a lot of fun, you know, and it is, it is again akin to just like going around to a friend's house and them going, oh shit, you know, I've got a, I've got some trauma movies. Do you want to put them on? And just like you don't have to enjoy the movies, but you can enjoy it just for how visceral and fucking weird and twisted it is. And I think that's the same thing I could say about Beyond the Valley at the Murder Dolls. You know, you don't have to like the entire album. Okay, but you can appreciate how much fun people are having with it because I think it's four misfits by a bunch of misfits, and that's not a pun on the punk band or anything like that. I I regret I don't have my murder doll shirt anymore. I don't know if I'm gonna fit it, but I wore a stripy red and black shirt in homage to it, and uh, it's just another example of um how we lost a fantastic musician far too soon. So, on next week's show, you've had Nickelback. Let's stick with the Canadian theme. We'll be talking about Avril Lavigne's Let's Go, Let Go. We'll be talking about the album that's got Skater Boy on it. So, you know, until then, I've been Benji telling you to uh, tip your bartender. And I've been Reese. Uh, tell your voice device to shave your eyebrows. Oh, 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 oh. Next week, we'll, um, we'll give away the American History X signed script. I, I forgot to talk about it, but we're giving it away next week. Have have you have you left that so late, bro? I don't know. Do we have I a know, winner? I'll draw it. I'll draw it next week on the pod. Live on the pod. <laughs>